0: I heard one pastor tell a story about a children's sermon on Easter Sunday, and he said, how many of you remember the first words that Jesus said to his followers when he raised from the dead? And the little girl raised her hand and said, I know. Ta-da! (laughs) Ta-da! Matthew chapter 28, verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Greetings. That's understated. First words for Jesus after the resurrection, isn't it? The Greek word for greetings is one of the most common ways that you could greet someone. It's just like Jesus walked into a room and said, hey, how you doing? For years, I had the privilege of helping lead uh, Vision New England's Congress in Boston. World-renowned speakers would come through the green room, and it was always funny to see different ones and how they showed up. There were those that came with their entourage. No kidding. Sunglasses. It's like the Secret Service. They came in, looked around, and then out comes this huddle, about a half dozen of them walking around this man. I swear, he was just sort of floating on his way through. And then I remember some of these others that have filled the greatest pulpits, impacted millions of people, just showing up. Hey, how you doing? I like them. Jesus was that. Shows up in front of these women, just says, hey, how you doing? Very casual and normal, as though this was always the plan contrast that with the women, all hope had been lost. Their world was devastated. The one that they had committed themselves to follow, that they expected to bring the kingdom of God, and Israel to be restored to its glory, has been brutally killed They're devastated. Now they come. The stone is gone. Angels proclaim he is alive, and now Jesus is before them. They are dumbfounded. We're going to look at their response in just a moment, but they fall at his feet and worship him. What an interesting difference for Jesus and the angels. It was just always the plan. In fact, the angels have to remind them of that. In another one of the Gospels, the angels say to the women, don't you remember Don't you remember what Jesus told you, that he was going to have to die, but but he'd be raised again? On the road to Emmaus, Jesus reminds those two that are still very baffled and confused by all the rumors. And he goes back through the whole of Scripture. This was always the plan. There is this casualness to Jesus in this moment. We see the women's response. They were afraid and yet filled with joy. The Gospel of Mark talks about this fear of the women. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The earliest copies of the Gospel of Mark that we have end with this verse. They left trembling and bewildered. The word is terrorized in Greek. Think about that. How would that revolutionize your view of Easter? You thought of three grown women... Their garments gathered up to their knees, running frightened to death from a cemetery. That was the first Easter. In fact, the language for fear in the followers of Jesus after the resurrection is stronger than in any other time in the Gospels. This tremendous fear, but it was mixed with joy. You see, the joy, I think, is obvious. We go there. We've we've experienced joy here today. But let's contemplate the fear. Why the fear? We look back and we see what Easter fixed. We see Easter as this kind of fairy tale day when everything got better and we all live happily ever after, and that is exactly not what it is. For the followers of Jesus, the resurrection was awesome, but it made life instantly more dangerous. You see, as sad as it was that Jesus was gone... It meant all the horrible events of those last days had left them as survivors. Yeah, they needed to pick up the pieces. Yeah, their world was devastated. The dreams were gone, but so was the danger. But now, if Jesus is alive, everything's back on the table. Everything's back on the table. So the joy of that is is that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Who he is as a man, the Son of God, is vindicated. His message is verified. But now all that is true in a world that is very, very dangerous. It was just 36 hours before this that a mad crowd demanded that Jesus be put to death. The religious leaders sought Jesus' death. Rome was against them. The whole world had turned against them. And now in this new setting of hostility... Basically, what Jesus says in Matthew 28 at the end is, the mission is still on. It's on. So there was joy, but there was fear. John Ortberg in his excellent book, Who is This Man, says the following. Sunday is not this comforting little metaphor, this generic reassurance in the face of death. It ain't that. Sunday is not that flowers force their way up through cracks in the sidewalk. It ain't that. Sunday is Jesus. Sunday means everything Jesus has been saying about God, about life, about death, about faith, about love, about forgiveness, about suffering, about giving over your life. It's all true. Sunday means God, who created everything in the beginning, is now recreating everything. You see... The simple fact is, is that while their life became a lot more dangerous, they found something more powerful than that danger. What is it? Now we're going to look at this two weeks from now more fully. We have two more weeks in the life of Jesus. Next week we're going to look at some of the post-resurrection appearances, and then we're going to look at this great commission. But it's interesting that Matthew ties the Great commission so directly to the chapter on the resurrection. He doesn't cover all the details that some of the other biographers cover. And that's because Johns Mark uh, I'm sorry, Matthew's writing style if I say all four, I'll eventually hit him, right? Matthew's writing style is to have an event and then match that event with a teaching of Jesus. He's not leaving us to make our own conclusions. He's putting Jesus' own teaching against the event and helping us see it in context. Last week, we saw that when we looked at Matthew's story on the crucifixion. The one thing that Jesus said, which was the sermon on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We went to Psalm 22. What in this story, then, is Matthew's commentary from Jesus on the resurrection? It's the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is it that made the joy and the thrill And the post-resurrection life worth all the danger. Here's how I want to summarize it. You see, the death of Christ paid for all the sins of humanity. Now that that's accomplished, what does the resurrection mean for us? For those of you that have been in our life groups, we've gone through the book of Colossians over the winter while we've been going through the life of Jesus on Sunday morning. One very important parallel is the hymn in the first chapter of Colossians where Paul reminds us that Christ is the firstborn over creation. Christ is the creator. Firstborn is not origin, it's position of authority, of honor. He was firstborn over creation but then verse 2 of that hymn is that he is firstborn from among the dead. And what we've taught each week as we've reviewed that, is that he is firstborn over the new creation, the re-creation. You see, the cross shows us how we can be forgiven of our sins and and be restored to the Father and have new life in him. But Christ being the firstborn from among the dead, the risen Christ, is what inaugurates the era of the re-creation. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. In other words, he leads the path for transformation. On Resurrection Sunday, the era of recreation begins. Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, now as he moves from death to life, we now also can move from death to life. And this era of recreation has three aspects to it, and I just want to go through them quickly today. Three R's for you to think about in terms of this era of recreation. Resurrection, reconciliation, and restoration. The first part of this new era that you and I live in still today, this era of God making all things new, is resurrection. The language of the New Testament is now all about resurrected life, right? The early church became a culture of resurrection. They began meeting on the first day of the week. They called it the Lord's Day not just to commemorate that it was on the first day of the week that Christ rose from the dead, but just like the first day of creation in the Genesis account. The resurrection of Christ is God's first day of recreation. So they celebrated that by gathering on the first day of the week. The resurrection becomes a metaphor for the life of a Christ follower found throughout the teaching of the church. Here is one very important one, for instance. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Let's say this together. God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, life in Jesus is called new life. Resurrected life is life after death. So what that tells us is a number of things. First of all, it's the metaphor for salvation. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sin. Christ took that death and the same way Christ conquered and defeated death in the resurrection, you and I can be raised to newness of life in Christ. We were dead but we left that death, that sin of death, the law of sin and death and it no longer has power over us. It, it has no sting. It has no victory. See, it's really powerful. But then the early church took it a step farther. That resurrection life is the process of change that we're to be about. We are to Put to death the old man, the sin nature. We are to be crucifying the sin nature. They had a more full understanding of Jesus' words. If you're going to come after me, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You see, the resurrected life is not one you can just leap into from life to life. It springs from death. That's why Paul coined this beautiful phrase. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's why in this great commission, Jesus said, as you go and make followers, baptize them. The word is baptizo. It means immerse. This is the messianic mikvah, going into the water and coming out of it to say, I am dying to my old life. And I am coming into a new life in Christ. So the resurrection, moving from death to life, becomes not just how we get into this life, but it becomes the basis for this very life. The second aspect of the era of recreation is reconciliation. If resurrection is about the new life, reconciliation is about the new birth. It goes back to Jesus first coining that phrase when he talked to Nicodemus and he said, you're alive physically but you're dead spiritually because of your sin. You need spiritual birth. We have been born into this new family. Our relationship with God is restored. The veil has been torn so that we can enter into reconciliation with God. I want to turn with you real quick to Romans chapter 5 where we see this image. Beginning of verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus promised that. The resurrection proves the availability of it. And so reconciliation becomes a language of the early church, and it's become our language. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself in Christ. You see this in the resurrection account. Um, Jesus refers to the disciples as my brothers, both here in Matthew, but in John, it, it's of a particular note. Because in the Gospel of John, this is the first time Jesus uses that phrase. He never refers to them as his brothers until after the resurrection. And then he refers to them as my brothers. And he says, go and tell them, and this is the first time he uses this phrase, that I'm going to my father and your father. It's the first time he uses those terms. We are now family. We have been reconciled. Another place you see it in the resurrection accounts is the fact that women are the very first to be witnesses to Christ being resurrected. This was unheard of in the culture. Women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. Men, you could murder somebody, a hundred women could see it, and if no man saw it, you couldn't be convicted. Yeah. Jesus revealed himself to women first. (laughs) They go to the men. And it says, the men thought they were talking nonsense. Can you imagine men actually being dismissive and patronizing to a group of women? It actually happened in the Bible. And then Jesus finally appears before the disciples. They won't believe the women. He appears before the disciples. Ta-da! And they go, Christ is risen! And the women go, told you. Eventually they get it. They get it, because Paul says, now in Christ, there's neither junior Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, reconciliation, we've been reconciled to God, we've been restored and reconciled to each other as equals before God. For those of you that are visiting, real Christianity treats every human being equal. Now, culture has historically, and therefore Christian versions, have appeared to be just the opposite and the church has been very guilty of that in the past, but Jesus wasn't. Scripture is We are all one in Christ, and, and I love that. And, and at the cross, we see that vindicated. Isn't that awesome? Ta-da! <laughs> Third area is restoration. Let's just go through it quickly. Resurrection is about new life. Reconciliation is about new birth. Restoration is about being new creations. Anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God transforms us into new creatures, but then we have the capacity to grow and change. Scripture says, He who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion in you. The journey is a journey of progressive recreation in Christ, ever moving from glory to glory till we reflect Christ fully. It's a beautiful thing. But not only that, not only are we being recreated and restored, there will be a day. There will be a day when not only will you and I be new creations, but the creation will be a new creation. There will be a day, and we will be there, when Christ, having called out from all tribes and people, a people of his own, having transformed them, having recreated them into the humanity, that was God's original plan. We will all see his ultimate work when he turns and says to us and to his Father, See, I make all things new. I love that. All that is wrapped up in this Easter greeting. It's not just a greeting. It's life. It's life. Christ is risen. And our life should reflect that he has risen indeed. So now we're going to prepare to end the sermon. I'm going to ask you to end the sermon with me. It's interesting that we get all fired up and express our emotion at stadiums, you know, over big games and about complete strangers that we'll never know and over people we don't love and over moments that really don't change our lives. We'll get so excited. We'll get uproarious about it. We'll lose our voices as we cheer. John Ortberg quotes a friend of his who blogged and she wrote about it. Why do we feel free to holler and jump to our feet at a game for crying out loud but not in an office or school or at a home or a church at a place where we could celebrate way more praiseworthy accomplishments. I want to learn to feel and express in my real life that same elation a fan experiences when a team wins a game against all odds. Wouldn't that be awesome if we experience that same elation here today? So in just a couple minutes, we're gonna do that greeting. And I'm gonna say, Jesus Christ is risen. And you hopefully will say he's risen indeed. And then if you want, you can cheer if you want. (laughs) But in order to get there, I want to read this powerful description of what really transpired. I want to give credit. I think this is John Ortberg. I, I haven't found the original source for it, but it's really powerful. It moved me and be prepared. Here we go. There was a man named Jesus. He taught like nobody had ever taught. He lived like nobody had ever lived. He loved like no one has ever loved. He especially had a heart for people who were on the margins, the least, the lost, the last, the lonely, for the sick, the sinners, the forgotten, the poor, the despised, the disliked. On Friday, his great courage got him arrested. His great love led him to the cross. His great heart stopped beating. On Friday, that which looked like a horrible, tragic ending to such a wonderful life turned out to be the greatest sacrifice of love in the history of our world. On Saturday, there was a great silence. Jesus entered into death and hell for you and me. But on Sunday, on Sunday, a stone got rolled away. On Sunday, death lost its sting. The grave lost its victory darkness was derailed. The devil was denied. On Sunday, the tomb was emptied and hope got fulfilled. On Sunday, faith was vindicated. The prophets were validated. The soldiers were aggravated. The disciples were animated. On Sunday, sin lost, shame died, hope soared, love won. On Sunday, you got something beyond yourself to live for, something beyond your life to die for, something beyond your death to hope in after you die. This then is the central proclamation of the greatest victory over the darkest enemy by the noblest hero for the loftiest cause in all of human history. If anything in this sorry, dark world is worthy of celebration, it is this. Jesus Christ is risen! He is risen indeed! (laughs) Amen.